if my money is not making money, then Vu has to be making the money, right? And Vu has to go to do night shifts, has to, you know, break his back, break his hands, develop shoulder tendonitis, develop hand finger tendonitis, you know, develop back pain, knee pain, whatever it is to do all those shifts to make the money because my money is not making money. Yeah, and you can mathematically calculate that opportunity cost, you know, by by taking, say, $50,000 and parking it into a car. Well, the convenience cost of just renting that vehicle, the tax deductions that came from the leasing versus and taking that 50000 and putting it somewhere else. I mean, mathematically, it always comes out where it makes more sense not to pay cash. The bank based their entire business on using debt, other people's money, which is mine. <laughs> I put it in the bank and then they use mine to now lend it to 10 other people. By the way, I put a dollar, they generate $10, right? It's fractional money. And so they make <laughs> they make the, the difference, the spread 10 times. financial health doc welcome to the financial literacy podcast for healthcare professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast, and I am your host, Vu Ketran. As promised, we are back for our second episode with uh, my good friend, Nick Giovanetti, again, discussing what is debt and how to use debt. So please welcome back, Nick Giovanetti, to the podcast. Well, and it, it all comes down to, you know, some industries ha don't have cash flow problems, but then down the road, and I think I've heard you say this many times, Vu, is you have cash distribution problems Correct. in the future. So people that have, they don't feel like they have cash flow problems. Psychologically, they never think the money is going to dry up. So they, they, they get a little bit weary around certain purchases because they always feel like that money is coming in. But really, true wealth creation is from keeping your money, keeping your money as long as possible and growing that money and, and take using that money for opportunity versus paying cash for everything and forfeiting all future growth and all future opportunity that that money could have done had it never left your hands. Right? And that's where other people's money comes into play in terms of financing homes, financing businesses. In the financial planning world, people are financing businesses all the time. Like if there was another financial planner who had a block of business that I wanted to buy, almost never is that advisor paying cash. Almost never. They finance it almost every time because they'll look at it and say, this business generates $250,000 a year, but I can borrow money at $100,000 a year. So I'm going to give them 
I'm gonna I'm gonna finance their book of business so that I know I'm just buying cash flow. I'm gonna buy 150 grand a year while the debt is serviced at 100 grand a year. So financial planners and advisors are utilizing this all the time. Right. Which is which is very different from non-financial advisors, right? You guys study this, you understand this, you understand opportunity costs, you understand debt. Hey, I'm just a simple doctor. Okay. Don't expect too much, right? So one, you have to dumb it down for me. But two, I don't bathe in this environment. And my my colleagues, my audience don't bathe in this environment. And we don't think about it. It's not intuitive. And so talking about debt is very, very useful for us because not only do we want to accumulate, but we want to make sure that we distribute it out properly at the end. So we talked about bad debt. We talked about cars. We talked about consumables, right? Uh, The plasma TV. Now it's the 4K TV. You know, next month is going to be the 7K TV, whatever it is. Um, and then it's going to be the Nike shoe, the Jordans, and then next is the going to be the, the vacation, right? Yeah. So all those consumables, you don't want to pay with debt. You don't want to pay with other people's money. You don't want to pay with leverage. That's right. Yeah. Unless you can borrow that money for three, four weeks, like a credit card, just make sure you pay your statements in full. Right. Now, credit card, let's talk about credit card. Credit card interest is somewhere between 19 and 21% interest, right? Mm -hmm. That is phenomenally high. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to borrow money that I have to pay at 19 to 21% on a continuous basis. That's right. But that, and that's bad debt. That's really bad, right? How am I going to make 19% in the market? There's no way I'm going to make 19% in the market. So I'm losing money. That's bad debt. But if I use a credit card and I pay it at the end of the month, I've actually not pay any interest. And so yeah. while, while using credit card in the long run and accumulating a balance is bad debt, but if you're not using a credit card that way and you're paying it off after month after month and keep the balance back to zero, then the credit card is not a bad debt. Exactly. And it can actually produce a return for you because a lot of credit cards have points or various features and, and add-ons where your dollar is going further than if you paid cash. Correct. Right. If I'm collecting points that I can then future use for a purchase that wasn't money that I had, why wouldn't I rather use that? And, and instead of paying cash for something and you're just going to pay it off at the end of every month or use your credit card and pay it off the next day but you're still getting gains and growth from those points and and all the features of the credit card. Absolutely. So my, my wife loves to use the uh, PC card, right? From Loblaws. So we go to Loblaw. I can pay my groceries with cash, 25 bucks, whatever it is, but we use a credit card because we accumulate points that eventually turns back into money. And so I can use the same $25 that I take out of my wallet and gives me no points, or I can pay with my credit card, pay with that $25, gave me some points. And then as I accumulate the points, it turns back into money that, you know, a month down the line, I can now buy a loaf of bread using the points, right? And, And the credit card balance, I pay it off at the end of the month and I accumulate zero balance. And so to your point, I can actually use the credit card to grow my wealth in a, as opposed to 
diminish my wealth. Exactly. And here's a quick example. Let's say that for every $25 spent on a credit card that you got $1 back. That would be nice. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I'm trying. Yeah. Just for easy math, $25, yeah. you get $1 back. If I bought a $25 purchase at the grocery store for, for 25 bucks, yeah. I got $1 back in a point. I've made 4% on my money. True. Right? Just True. buying groceries, I made 4%. Versus if I paid cash, now I've lost opportunity cost on that money forever. True. I permanently flowed that money away from me. True. So again, if you do the math and you calculate what credit cards are going to be the most advantageous for how you're already spending money. So you don't have to change anything in your life. You're already spending money this way. Why not try and find the rates of return and the growth that you could achieve just using everyday things? Right. So don't cut your credit card just yet. Exactly. Exactly. And there is a bit of a myth around that where people think if they have too many credit cards or what have you, that it's actually damaging their credit scores. And, and that's a bit of a myth. Having open lines of credit is not necessarily damaging your credit score. It's the high utilization of credit and the long standing balances that is, that is what is going to harm you. Right. And uh, I experienced that myself. I had a heat, I had a line of credit attached to my house. And for the longest time, uh, I ran a very high balance on my line of credit. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of swimming in debt, bad debt, by the way. I was swimming in bad debt. Uh, and when I applied to refinance my house, they say, well, Vu, your credit score is really bad. I'm like, <laughs> what are you saying? I'm a doctor. I work in the eMERGE. I, I save people's lives. How can I have bad credit? Well, because yeah. your line of credit is always at the maximum, Right. And so yeah. the longer you maintain that line of credit balance at the maximum, the worse your credit gets. But it's not fair. I save people's lives. We don't care that you have a bad credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that, that, that goes back to because some people may listen to the start of the podcast and they'll say, hey, you told me to use a line of credit. Well, to take it one step further, it's just you don't want to overutilize your available room, right? So if you had 100,000 worth of room and you're using 50,000 50, of the 100,000, that's not necessarily going to be damaging your credit. But once you break over 75% utilization, that's where it starts to kind of drag that credit score down. So it's just being aware of that. And you can still, you know, you can still use money, uh, leverage other people's money with dead assets like, you know, on your house and stuff like that. So now let's talk about how do we use debt because that's a good segment. So how do we use debt? What is the correct way of doing it? So I'm your client and I'm like, Nick, I need some help. Uh, I want to use debt. I understand the concept. I want to buy business or I want to buy that piece of land there or I want to invest in XYZ ETFs, whatever it is. Okay, but I don't have the money or I don't have the money now or I don't want to use my money. So how should I be doing it if I wanted to use it correctly? Yeah, um, so again, we would want to sit down and look at all of the math associated with it. So are we going to be using 
interest rates that are simple interest versus compound interest? Uh, what are the terms of, of the loan? And, and as well, with whatever opportunity you're purchasing, we, we want to look at, is there any risk there? Like if you're going to be buying a piece of land, well, you have to pay for the land in full. So if you're using a line of credit or something, that's okay. But what kind of income is generating off the land? If you're thinking, well, we're going to build some apartment buildings here or whatever. Okay, well, how, how long do you have to hold that debt until the income starts generating? So I would say that first step is figuring out what kind of a, an income generation is going to come from this? What kind of a, of a business is, is going to be built here? And does it make sense to, to actually finance that opportunity versus parking your cash there and, and calculating the difference between opportunity costs on your cash versus utilizing the debt and carrying it with that convenience fee. Right. So many calculations. One, I think you said something. One, if I want to purchase that something, I want to make sure that that something either grows or provides an income, right? I don't want to buy something that doesn't grow and doesn't give me an income. It becomes a consumable, right? So I don't want that. Uh, two, I need to do the math to make sure that the convenience fee that I'm paying uh, will be less than the opportunity that I'll be making. So what is the opportunity? Three, well, I could pay for this piece of land with cash or I could pay with debt. So what would happen if I pay with cash? What are the opportunity costs with that? And what is the opportunity cost if I paid with debt, other people's money? And which one mathematically looks out better, right? And finally, if I'm going to use debt and I'm thinking of making an income or having a growth, what is that spread, right? If that spread is positive, then mathematically it makes sense. If that spread is negative, mathematically it doesn't make sense. And so now the decision is a mathematical decision. Unfortunately, what happens is people make decisions based on emotion. They don't look at the math. And then they buy something and realize, oh, <laughs> doesn't work out. That's when they run into trouble when they use debt. So what you're saying is put pencil to paper, do the math, do the calculation, be objective about it, take the emotion out of the equation to make that decision on debt. Absolutely. I, I think that that's one of the biggest powers of working with financial professionals that you know, like, and trust, because what we do is we're sort of that light shining between the clouds of emotion. So right. we're going to be the ones that are here to say to you, like, Vu, you might come to me and, and tell me all about this opportunity that you know, you're super jacked about it makes a lot of sense in your mind and you're very excited about it. My role is to sit here and be that logic of great, Vu, I'm excited too. Let's do the math. Right? Yeah. So that, that one additional piece in the middle of working with a, a great professional or being a part of an association that has credible professionals just to bounce that idea off of. Um, I think is going to be a powerful piece because we can't get away from the emotion. Depending on what type of money mindset you are, um, we can't get away from our own emotion. 
we can grow over time, but there's about seven different money mindsets that we can't get away from. We're one of the seven. So it's a matter of working with a professional to try and figure out what type of money mindset you have. How do you react to money and how do you feel about money? And debt's a big component of that. Different people can tolerate risk better than others. Um, so working with somebody that's able to help you through that. Give you an example, Vu, because you're a physician. So, you know, this would re resonate uh, with you. You know, I really like salty food, <laughs> you know, like I love eating chips. Um, and emotionally, it's hard for me to stop. If I see a bag of chips there, I want it. I'm going to eat it. And my mind stops me from, from doing it. But if I met with someone like you, Vu, and you did some tests on me and you're like, you can keep eating the chips. However, that's going to, you know, shorten your lifespan this much or do this to your health. I'm more likely to listen because I need you there as that logical piece to be planted in my brain so that I don't necessarily pound the whole bag of chips uh, the next time that I see one. And I think finances and utilizing debt are the same. If you work very closely with a financial professional, you can, you can build that out into just how you do things. So prior to making big decision, you've got that trusted contact person that you're going to bounce the idea off of. Good. Yeah. I mean, again, having that objective lens is very important. And that objective lens allow you to figure out, is this a debt that I should use or is this a debt I should not use, right? Okay, yeah. so let's, uh, let's wrap this up, this debt question quickly and say, who are the people that uses debt in this world? Who are those people? What do they look like? What are their characteristics? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, we could whip out, you know, the Forbes top 100 or wealthiest people in the world. And I bet we'd be very hard pressed to find any one of those people that are not using debt to its full potential, because that is how wealth is created. Wealth is created from debt. And we can see that in how the banks use it and, and how certain institutions are using it. Any, anybody who owns real estate and rents it out, they're utilizing debt uh, in most cases. So I would say to find the people that are using debt, we could just look at the wealthiest people in the world and, and say, what are they doing with their money? So let me, can I summarize what you just said in one word or oh, two word, two word, two words. For sure. Growth mindset, right? Yeah. So growth mindset is people who seize the opportunity chase after the opportunity. I'm not talking about dreams. I'm talking about true opportunity. People who want to have that opportunity, chase that opportunity, build that opportunity using other people's money, right? And they're not uncomfortable with that. Whereas yeah. people with a scarcity mindset, well, they're not comfortable with that. They, they can't do it. Emotionally, they can't pass that barrier of saying, wait a minute, I owe the bank money or I own XYZ money. Therefore, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go for that opportunity. Um, so I've summarized it in two words, growth mindset. And it really, it really takes a lot of effort to build that growth mindset. Because I think throughout our education, whether you're in medicine, dentistry, law, engineering, secretary, worked at the grocery store, whatever, we are brought up 
through our lifetime to have this scarcity mindset, right? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't date this girl. Don't date that guy. Um, don't, 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 don't uh, buy this, you know, pay off the bank. And all that is to say, get rid of that. You can't have that. Never, never have that. Whereas mm -hmm. people who have a grudge mindset say, I don't have that. I use that. Well, that's mm -hmm. the difference, right? Because they want to grow and they want to take on that opportunity. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. There are people that have growth mindset. I mean, here's a great example. So the Bank of Canada, everyone's talking about the Bank of Canada's lending rate is, is going up, right? So the banks get their money from, from the Central Bank of Canada. So the, the lending rate for the Bank of Canada is 1% now. Yeah. Right? Prime rate, so what the banks are lending money at to us, the consumer, is 3.2% now. It's gone up because yeah. the banks just, you know, they go like that. All they're doing is the math to figure out their profit margin. They have minimum profit margin that they want. That's why when Bank of Canada rate goes up, bank rate goes up. So if the Bank of Canada rate is 1% and prime rate at the bank is 3.2, which very few people get prime rate. If you have the right kind of you know, profession, you can get it quite easily, but most people are not paying prime rate. If the bank lent money to, let's say me at prime 3.2, what is their spread on the money from the Bank of Canada? What are they making guaranteed? 2.2. 2.2%. Yeah. But to most people, they, when you think about it that way, you're like, well, that's not that much, 2.2. What they're actually making is 120%, right? Because they're getting the money for one. Yep. They're lending for 3.2. So the spread is actually 120%. So the bank's profit margin is 120% because they're not even using their money. That's right. They're using the Bank of Canada's money. So when you think about who is, who's using debt to their advantage, it's people doing the math and just figuring out what sort of spread and profit margin can I get? And that's a lot better return. That's a pretty risk-free return versus trying to chase the next big stock purchase or hot, hot thing or reading a Reddit because GameStop is on fire or, or whatever. That's very risky ways of growing your wealth where there's actually a lot safer ways of growing your wealth and it requires the utilization of debt and other people's money. Right. And you can result in higher returns. And so it's really a question of changing mindset. So not just growth scarcity mindset, but it's the mindset of being comfortable of using debt. Right. Uh, I tell people all the time, it's not about having debt. It's about using debt. So that change in framework is the beginning of, of this. So, oh, yeah. If I yeah. could get access right now, Vu, to like $5 million that wasn't mine, yeah. I would immediately be looking for opportunity. That is, where can I park this $5 million that's going to generate a higher rate of return for myself? And, and I mean, that's using debt, right? Yes. If I had an open line of credit of five grand, five million, I don't want that five million sitting there. I want to get that money in motion and park it somewhere that's going to generate a spread or return for myself using other people's money because I don't I'm not sitting on five million. That's right. OPM, three very powerful letters. So talking about OPM, let's wrap this up and talk about 
the HELOC. Let's talk about how do we free up the HELOC. And with that, we'll talk about um, debt conversion. So converting a non-deductible debt to a deductible debt, which necessarily have to drive to the topic of the Smith maneuver, um, which we have two podcasts about. They're coming soon. So look, look, look for them very soon about the Smith maneuver. But let's just talk about the HELOC and the debt conversion. Explain that to us a little bit. The HELOC and the debt conversion. Well, so the HELOC, what's interesting about a HELOC is the structure of that debt is completely open. So you can max it out and put that money somewhere else and you can fully pay it off whenever you feel like it. Unlike a mortgage, which is more structured, where if you tried to pay it off early, you're going to be penalized for that because you know whoever gave you the mortgage, they, they've calculated how much profit and how much money they want out of that. So a, a home equity line of credit is just another version of borrowing money on your home that's more open, more flexible. The interest rate may be higher, but there's differences between compound and simple and how that and it being open and the amortization. There's some few differences there. So a home equity line of credit is really powerful tool because you have the ability to borrow up to the maximum, to park it somewhere else to generate opportunity. And that interest may or may not be deductible uh, depending on what you're using that money for, if you're investing in your business or, or using it for an investment purposes. And then you can pay that money off whenever you, whenever you want. So unlike a mortgage, there's no penalty for paying off uh, the line of credit whenever you've capitalized on your business opportunity. Okay, great. So now that we explain the HELOC, which is, again, uh, money that you can have access to, this is money that was coming from the equity from your home, because that's why it's called a home equity line of credit. Now, you mentioned whether it's tax deductible or not. So what make it tax deductible or not is the fact that I can use that money if I can reasonably make an income, I can deduct the interest. If I can't reasonably make the income, I can't deduct the interest. So what do I mean? So let's say my line of credit, I have a hundred grand in it and I use a hundred dollars to go buy a lollipop and I ate the lollipop. Well, the interest that I paid on that hundred dollars, let's call it 5% for argument's sake. So that $5 that I paid in interest, I, I used that $100 to buy a lollipop. It did not generate any income. Therefore, I cannot deduct the $5 from my income as a tax deduction. So that's not tax deductible. But I can use that exact same $100. Instead of buying lollipop, I put it into a bond fund, right? I bought $100 of a bond fund and that bond fund maybe losing money, it actually crashed, it burned, right? It's now down to a dollar. But there was a reasonable expectation of making an income, which means that, that that bond fund could have made me money. And it was reasonable that it could have made me money. So the $5 that I pay in interest in that $100, that $5 is tax deductible. Even though my bond fund went crashed and burned and now it's worth a buck, but it had the opportunity with the reasonable expectation of making an income. Therefore, I can use that to, to deduct my income to, to tax, to deduct tax for my income. So what that means is if you use that line of credit appropriately, which is to reinvest, to save, 
to invest in a business with a reasonable income of generating an income, sorry, with reasonable expectation of generating an income, that interest rate is deductible. If I take that same $100 and I bought a Mercedes-Benz, there's absolutely no way <laughs> there's a reasonable expectation of making income unless you become an Uber driver. But, <laughs> but, but that's, that's an expense. So that's a reasonable expense. But if you bought a Mercedes to drive yourself you know, and your family, you're not making an income. Therefore, you cannot deduct that interest. So the difference is using that money to invest or save. Exactly. Yeah. And, and using a home equity line of credit can be more advantageous than, than a mortgage just by the sheer fact of how the debt is, is structured. So home equity lines of credit are simple interest, meaning that the interest rate that you're paying is only calculated on the amount borrowed. Whereas when you're using a mortgage, that's calculated in a different way and it's, it's amortized over different periods of time so that the interest calculation can ultimately be uh, a little bit more disadvantaged uh, if you were to borrow the money for an, an investment purpose using your mortgage versus a line of credit. All right. So in that discussion of the HELOC and line of credit and debt conversion, when you use debt, that you can deduct, uh, sorry, you can use the interest it deducted off your income, then that is the first step to the Smith maneuver. But in the Smith maneuver, it's a different type of HELOC. It's not called a HELOC, it's called a readvanceable uh, mortgage, which is very similar to a HELOC, but uh, slightly different. But the point is, is that you're using that debt to invest into something and that interest that you're paying on that borrowed money, that OPM, well, that interest is deductible off your income. That's the, that's the idea. So the whole idea is to use debt for something that will grow or increase or produce an income. If you're using debt to buy a consumer boat that has no opportunity to grow, no opportunity to make an income, then that's bad debt, essentially. Yeah. And we're seeing that a lot now, like people are pulling money out of their, their residence to purchase income properties or to invest in their own business. Um, you know, the Smith maneuver can be used in so many amazing ways where one of them would be, you know, you want to have a pension plan in your business, but you don't want to tie up business income or, or you don't have the financial means inside your business to, to actually fund your pension. Well, why not use the, the asset you already own personally to invest in your business? That money can then fuel your pension, creating tax deductions in various different ways. And you're really just creating uh, a dollar into the ability of, of producing $3 worth of value because you're just moving around money, creating tax deductions in various places. And in a way, it's, it's like you're, we're, not, we're not allowed to deduct interest on our principal residence here in Canada like they are in the United States, unless we do correct. maneuvers like the Smith maneuver. Correct, correct. And, and the point that you're making, I think the big point you made was you have debt capital sitting inside your home. Use that debt capital, convert it into something, which is now a line of credit, that you can use to fund your pension inside your corporation. So there's a tax deduction 
right from the borrowing from the line of credit. You put it in your pension fund inside your corporation, you get seven other tax deduction. So that $1 is now actually working eight times for you. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you move your money and money in motion, MIM, right? Another abbreviation, MIM, money in motion. Yeah, I mean, money is a lot like water. Think about, think about water that is stagnant and doesn't move. What happens to that water? Yeah, you know, accumulates ice up. and West Nile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not water necessarily that I want to drink or jump in. But when you look at streams that have a lot of water moving through it, running over the rocks, it's constantly in motion. That's some of the cleanest water you could ever see because water and money are very similar in their, in their characteristics. There's one pool of water in, in the world and there's one pool of money. And we wanna keep that money moving as much as we possibly can. Very good. So OPM, other people's money, money in motion, MIM, generate wealth. Money that's stagnant will depreciate by just being eaten up by inflation. So you're going to lose the war to inflation and inflation is not our friend right now. Not our friend. (laughs) So uh, use debt, don't have debt. And that is important change of framework and change of mindset. So have a growth mindset, not a scarcity mindset. Exactly. Growth mindset. and, And just know that money can be worked and worked and worked. You can overwork money as hard as you want. It won't complain. It won't call in sick. It won't get tired. So you can work money as hard as you want. Right. Now, VU works really hard, uh, but VU hasn't called in sick yet. But one day it will happen. So thank you very much, Nick, for all those concepts, uh, important points. If there was maybe one thing that you want to say to our audience before you leave, it's burning in your chest, you must say it. What would that be? What I would say is, however you feel today is okay. And if you want to explore different ways of of utilizing the wealth that you have today, we're completely open for any calls, any emails, any communication. I'd love to talk to anybody about where they're currently sitting with their, with their wealth and what they're doing with their money and being that coach or that guide to help work them through uh, some different ideas and concepts and, and to help with any type of behavioral change that you're looking to implement in your life. Good. So debt and the use of money is behavioral. So I'm not surprised that people are having challenges with that. So thank you very much for offering your help, uh, Nick. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Vu. Uh, Hopefully we can be back. And uh, hopefully um, you're not, you know, I know you say you haven't called in sick or anything like that. Um, I don't think you need a sick day, but a good solid vacation is definitely on the list. Definitely. I need a vacation for sure. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, Vu. I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast and has taken some golden nuggets home with you and was able to reflect on some of the concepts that we spoke about. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, your dogs, your cats, and maybe your pet turtle. And if you have any comments, please 
um, email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. I hope that people listen to podcasts like these and learn a little bit about financial literacy, uh, especially for all of us in the healthcare industry where we do not get many of these type of teaching. So uh, see you guys next time and um, please be safe. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.